Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast 107, podcast episode 97 for the week ending Thursday, November 4th, 2021. We'll kick it off quickly with uh, media, and then we'll get right down to it. Last week went a little bit over, so I want to try to keep this one tight this week and let you get back to business. Um, so first on Friday, I want to thank Medicine and Amber Warwick for including me in their article on Reuters. This was when uh, Tesla was uh, uh, accelerating and they were talking about changing FANG to a different acronym like MAMATA uh, or something of the, of the like that would include Tesla. And my quote was, these handful of stocks, the FANG, have reigned for quite some time, and it may be with the beginning of taper, rates slowly rising, and inflation that these tech long-duration assets may become less valuable, uh, said Tom Hayes, managing member at Great Hill Capital in New York. And the reason is, is the discount rate, as the discount rate goes up, the value of the future cash flows uh, goes down in the present, and uh, those stocks that would be most impaired will be uh, what is the heaviest weight in the S&P presently. So we may see some rotation around that. And that was the point that we were making there. Uh, we'll see how the taper starts to play out. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, also want to thank um, Devik Jain and Bansuri Mayar Kamdar for including me in their article uh, three days ago. And I think this was on Monday. Uh, my, my view was that the initial optimism this morning was on earnings doing better than expected, but now we've got to contend with the Fed on Wednesday and the jobs report on Friday, which are likely going to be two key catalysts this week, uh, said Tom Hayes. We're going to see this market pattern going into Wednesday until we get more clarity when Chair Powell wants to make the announcement on tapering. So we got that clarity and we'll talk about that today. And then I want to thank Herb Lash. Uh, last week put me on Reuters Icon, which is the institutional service only, so only big institutional managers can see these quotes. And we were talking a little bit about the market was uh, very positive now that it seems the corporate tax rate is not going up, which was a big surprise. I think it was a foregone conclusion you would see corporate tax rate go up to 25% versus the 26% ask. It's staying at 21%. You would have never thought that with a full-blown uh, Democrats controlling the House, the Senate, and the executive branch, but it got through the market like that. Um, they'll get something through with infrastructure and, um, and uh, social spending, so that will be some more stimulus in the system. And, uh, but the most important thing uh, that de describes the optimism is that earnings have come in dramatically better than expected, and we'll talk a little bit about that um moving forward quote of the week uh from seth Klarman, legendary value investor up in boston it turns out that value is something that is in your blood there are people who just don't have the patience or discipline to do it and there are people who do so it leads me to think it's genetic and i couldn't agree with him more um and that's why i frequently tell people when they're looking at this business for the first time is save yourself years just go read Benjamin Graham's book, Intelligent Investor, and within two or three hours, either a light bulb flicks off and you're never the same, 
or a light bulb turns on and you're never the same, or you can just put it down and pursue another path that, that's more in line with your wiring and, and something that you'll love and you'll excel at. Uh, and, and I think over time, it, it's clear that, that that is certainly the case. And I think you put it succinctly. And then, of course, Warren Buffett, whether we're talking about socks or stocks, I like to buy quality merchandise when it's marked down. So we continue to talk about that. And speaking of quality merchandise marked down, uh, opinion follows trend theme. University of California increased Alibaba and Pinduo Duo stock investments. Uh, their filing showed that they took their Alibaba uh, ADRs from 156,000 and change to 462,000 in the last quarter. So 200, 200% plus increase in Alibaba and uh, Pinduoduo from 37,000 to 50,000. So a more modest increase there. So they, they really pushed hard on the uh, Alibaba, which is good to see more institutional monies coming in. Looks like, you know, it was reported all over that they were going to report today. Um, and now I think it's uh, November 10th. So there's no formal press release that I can see. I, I may just call investor relations tomorrow and find out. But I think a lot of the Chinese tech is reporting mid next week. So I was hoping to get that catalyst this week. So we'll just have to wait another week uh, to get that color. But uh, I think the, these the general deterioration in the China economy is a very big positive for uh, the China tech. And that is, uh, you saw uh, China's factory activity worsen for a second straight month in October, adding evidence that the growth momentum has weakened. Uh, China's junk bond yields hit all-time high as property default contagion spreads. Home sales plunged 32%. Now, keep in mind, the bubble was created by the government, and now the bubble is being popped by the government. Uh, and what they're going to find is that the only real businesses that will survive if they continue to push with their three red lines, which we've talked about in recent weeks, uh, are going to be their nimble uh, China tech stocks. And uh, most of that, as we covered last week, is in the rearview mirror, the crackdown. So it'll be very interesting to see not only earnings next week, but guidance and color from management. Uh, I think it will be an optimistic call. Uh, expectations are so low right now they, they, they can trip over the bar uh, which is great and uh, and that's a good setup going into year-end so uh, looking forward to that next week uh, Intel chairman Omar Ishrock and other insiders bought two million dollars of stock the reason I pointed this out and I think they've actually bought more since this was uh, two days ago it, that may be it or two to two and a half million after it fell uh, on earnings uh, we love this over the next couple of years, um, and one of our listeners actually took the advice from the University of Bristol um, recording I did, and if you haven't had a chance to uh, listen to that, just go to youtube.com, or you can go to hedgefundtips.com and just in the search area put in Bristol, B-R-I-S-T-O-L, and the University of Bristol interview will come up or go to youtube.com and just enter hedge fund tips it'll bring you to the channel and you can find it but he took the advice and he wrote up an investing idea and his idea was intel uh, which we've talked about on on this uh, uh podcast but he did a really nice job uh, and what's more interesting is relative to his age it's a phenomenal job he's 18 years old he is studying actuarial science at the university of western ontario 
Um, he's got some long dated. He's got a long dated call spread. I think a 2023 January 2023 45-60 uh, call spread. Uh, I think that's going to make him great money. It costs him about five bucks. It's fifteen dollars wide. He'll probably make two hundred percent on that easy. Uh, two hundred percent on that without much effort. I think that's an eighty ninety dollar stock over the next three four years uh, as they get momentum with the new plan, which is very ambitious. And he lays out a case. Um, so if we onboard uh, when we next open to onboard uh, interns, he's at the top of the list. If there's anyone listening who is, I guess, in Toronto, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure where this University of Western Ontario is, but if there's anyone in Canada that's uh, running an investment management firm or, or a hedge fund, um, reach out to me on hedgefundtips.com or on LinkedIn. I'll send you his information, uh, and you may be able to, to uh, get to him early and, and, and get him going because I think he's got uh, good talent. He's shown great initiative. Uh, good solid thought process and um, and a bright future if he wants it. I mean, we'll, we'll be competing against the uh, insurance companies for this talent. But uh, so Carter Benson from uh, University of Western Ontario, watch out for him. He's uh, he's uh, he's on the move. Uh, congratulations, Carter. Great write up. And again, anyone that can use an intern up there, um, reach out to me. I'll get you his stuff. Uh, get him started. He, you know, he's young, but uh, a lot of a lot of talent there. Um, okay, then we got had a call from John, uh, an ask me anything question from John Jordan. Uh, the question was, I don't have it word for word, but how do you short the dollar? Um, and there's two basic ways. You can either do it through foreign exchange against another currency, or you could do it by uh, shorting futures on USD contracts um, or buying puts on the futures are kind of the easiest ways to do it. Um, I wouldn't really have like a super high conviction short. I think we went through kind of the dollar outlook uh, six to nine months out is probably lower, which sounds counterintuitive with what, what happened this week, but based on how commercials were positioned, et cetera. But I, I don't think it falls through the floor. I know there's a temptation and there's a whole community of people that are rooting for that, but uh, uh, I wouldn't hold your breath on that. But that, that's how you do it. Um, okay, uh, so uh, the interesting thing, you look here and the earnings estimates for 2021 shot up in the last few, few weeks. Uh, in, you know, from about looks like about 200 to 204. So that was a big move. Uh, 2022 have ticked up a little bit in the last week. We'll see how they come in tomorrow. They're at 220.59. So they're not getting quite to 230 yet, but we still have about 55% of the S&P left to report. We still have uh, you know, almost eight weeks into the end of the year. So I think we're gonna hit that 230 before the end of the year. But the bigger story is margins are now 12.8%. Everyone was worried about margins and we said, no, they're gonna pass through costs and you're seeing it pretty much across the board. So that's positive news. 12.8, uh, which would only, and that's again with 55% left to report, you know, you could see 13. I don't know if you're gonna see another record, but uh, no one was looking for that coming into earnings. 
And I think we are going to get that earnings growth over 40%, which gives me more confidence that we can hit that 230 on 2022 earnings before year end, which will bring the multiple down. A uh, little bit on OPEC. Uh, continues to slowly unwind pandemic output cuts despite U.S. pressure. Oil prices reversed lower, so uh, the current administration was begging, out begging OPEC to um, turn on the spigots. Uh, I guess coming out of the climate change meeting, they want them to pump a lot more oil, uh, which is kind of ironic. But um, uh, leaving that aside, if we just open back drilling on federal lands, you'd have uh, oil back at $50 probably within four to six months. But leaving that aside, Pointing fingers is the easy solution. Uh, taking action is the hard solution. There's some rumor in the market that they may sell off some more of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. President Trump bought bought low. Um, so we'll see if this administration uh, is clever enough to sell high. And uh, the other thing that's uh, in the background that we've discussed in, in the last handful of weeks is if something happens with the Iran deal, and I know there are going to be some meetings this month, they may be preliminary, but uh, the if, if there was a breakthrough with the Iranian deal, their production is going to go from 500 to 600,000 barrels a day to a million, a million barrels a day overnight. So that would have an impact. So it's just something to keep an eye on. Uh, as we move forward, and that would be the net impact called, uh, you know, call it a half a million barrels a day, which is pretty material. Um, okay, so that's the story there. Cigna. Cigna is very interesting. They beat on the top line. They beat on the bottom line. They raised top line guidance. They raised bottom line guidance. You couldn't ask for more, and... Uh, when the futures were up this morning, the stock was up 3-4% pre-market, and uh, into the open it was up 3-4%, and then the market got weak and it rolled over. The big issue, I read through the earnings call transcript, you can just Google that and pull it up. Um, you know, the big issue is that medical care ratio again that uh, they had a problem with last quarter, but management was very clear in the call that yeah, it's bad news that it's going to be over 84 uh, again this quarter, Q4, but they said that's going to come right right back down in 2022, and yet that, you know, it was question after question from the analysts. They're just fixated on this, despite the fact that, um, you know, they, they just crushed uh, many metrics. Cigna reported a near 17% jump in third quarter profit, on Thursday and modestly raised its full year adjusted profit forecast on the back of growth in its health services unit that includes pharmacy benefits management business. Uh, that's the um, Evernorth business. Uh, adjusted revenue for the quarter rose 12.7%. You know, this is a huge company doing these numbers. Um, uh, net income was 1.62 billion compared to 1.39 a year earlier raised its 2021 adjusted profit. Um, so the, the net effect is this business is going to grow close to 11% next year. It's trading at about 9.9 .9 times forward earnings, less than a one, one peg. Um, and you just can't find that many, many other places. So if you look at 
this is kind of what happened today. Just to give you a visual, it's trying to fill this gap for starters. It seems to kind of do this. Um, not that this is terribly valuable analysis, but I just kind of like like to look at the behavior of this stock. It like comes out of these consolidation periods and then it goes sideways, has a fake out, and that's when it has the big move once it once it takes everyone out. So maybe <clears throat> another week to consolidate shake these out before it can take on another run because I, I i don't see much bad here if you can look through a quarter which um i should hope most institutional managers can't uh, managers can you're not going to find a, a cheaper stock with better growth prospects than this um and i think we could have a, a nice monster move into year end into january uh on that basis so we still like this here and uh and that's the story good news on earnings next moving forward and if if i have coughs you'll just have to excuse me had a modest cough this week it's breaking up doing well but talking hasn't been the easiest thing which is kind of ironic i do a lot of it um i'm gonna grab a cough drop here so i want to go through the sectors bullish percent and then we can get to the article of the week <coughs> Okay, so um, just want to go through these because in the article of the week, we're going to be talking about how the general market is flashing some yellow signs, some things are getting overbought, but while we do top down, we also do bottom up, and we want to look at the sectors. And we can still see there's a tremendous amount of value in individual sectors. So uh, communication services, if you look here, 48% bullish. You look at even some of the NASDAQ, uh, consumer discretionary. Energy, this is one we've been warning about. We still have our core positions, of course. Long term, we like this, but you can see it started to roll over here. That doesn't mean it's going to all collapse, but we've talked about some of these warnings in the past few weeks, some things that could happen. Everyone was getting euphoric, and that's usually when you get a little bit of air taken out of the balloon, and we're seeing that now. So OPEC stood firm today. That's a positive thing, but you did have a build yesterday in the EIA report, so we'll keep an eye on that sector and use any real weakness to add for the intermediate to long term. I don't know if we're going to get real weakness unless we got some Iran surprise in, in coming weeks. Uh, then that would create great opportunity. Financials. Uh, these cough drops work, work quickly. This is a good thing. Uh, financials here. Again, everyone euphoric. You pulled back a little bit. I think there's some more gas in the tank there. But rather than go for the things that, you know, picking up nickels in front of steamrollers, <coughs> trying to get the last 5% out of it before a pullback, um, healthcare here, there's still plenty of room. That's why we like Cigna. We also went through a couple hundred biotech stocks over the weekend. And there are quite a number of biotech stocks that are not, that have not just pulled back, that are literally in a depression. Um, so in addition to Brazil, in addition to uh, Turkey and some of the other extra cheap areas that we've started to put some focus on to find areas of value, 
Um, there are a ton of biotechs that uh, if, if you go through the IBD, just look at through the 200 components, you're going to see a lot of them are beaten down. They're a little harder to analyze because you got to do the pipelines. It's not normal cash flow analysis. There's a lot of nuance, but some of the bigger ones, you know, that we already like, like Amgen, um, Gilead, et cetera. But there, there are a number of number of them that are just really cheap. Some of the bigger ones, Biogen, uh, et cetera. So materials, there's room to run. Uh, NYSE, we're going to talk about that in the article of the week. Real estate. So you see when you look at the state and staples, again, staples are just been bashed. And you're seeing that they're able to pass through costs. You saw it in Mondelez this week, uh, the cookie maker. They've got trouble on. They've got Oreos. They've got all, all those different things. Uh, they have Sour Patch Kids, which my eldest daughter loves. And... Um, so they're passing through the cost, and we're seeing that in margins. So th those are going to represent a huge opportunity. We've talked about Clorox. We've talked about Kellogg's. These things are beaten down, and they are going to get bid. And they'll really come in handy because now as liquidity is coming out of the market, not immediately because, remember, they're still going to add $660 billion of uh, to the Fed balance sheet over the seven-month taper period. But the market will start to discount that liquidity coming out. Uh, the three to five percent pullbacks of 2021 are going to turn to five to ten percent pullbacks of 2022, and that's where you want to have a stable of these um, consumer staple stocks that'll outperform in in a more volatile environment. And they're cheap, and they're they're retaining their margins through pass-throughs. And what's what's great is that you know, we're going to talk talk about in, input costs. Is as those input costs are coming down they've already taken price up. They're not gonna have to take price back down to match their input costs. So their margins can actually expand, which means they'll buy back more stock, their dividends will be increased, and that'll be a good place to look if you have a little longer term view than just into year end. Um, and utilities, that'll be a similar story. They've never recovered. Uh, they'll probably be a place to uh, get some exposure into next year as volatility comes back a bit more. Okay. Article of the week. The shoot first, ask questions later, stock market and sentiment results. Uh, on September 22nd, Chairman Powell said that while we had met the substantial further progress on one half of the dual mandate, which was inflation, we had not yet hit substantial further progress as it related to the second half of the mandate, which was full employment. He specifically said that he would need to see a decent jobs report prior to moving ahead with taper. Now, that may happen tomorrow, and I think there's a good probability that it does happen tomorrow, and we've talked about October and November reports being uh, much better than the September disaster. But it had not happened at the time of his announcement yesterday, which is, was a surprise to me. I had expected a December announcement and start to implement in January. Why? Because he had consistently, in the face of opposition, pounded the table that his priority was full employment. He did not follow through on that by blinking yesterday, but it's okay because it was well telegraphed to the market. Uh, the only thing that concerns me, and this is the guy who saved us from a Great Depression last year so and did everything right and perfectly in a time of crisis and 
may in fact go down as one of the greatest Fed chairs in history. Um, but, you know, for a moment there, it reminded me not of his greatness of 2021, uh, of 2020 rather, and 2021 up until now, but his failure in 2018. Uh, if you recall when he just kind of came out of the gate and he started raising rates into weakness and caused a collapse in December, it was like a bloody Christmas uh, of 2018 and completely collapsed the S&P 500 because he had in his mind that he had to raise rates at a, at a certain amount of pace despite the data didn't support it and the market certainly didn't support it, but he went ahead with his pre-existing plan and uh, and that was a real disaster. So. And then Mnuchin had to step in and, and backstop it and fix the problem, which he did. And Mnuchin was also a major player last year, don't get me wrong. Like, without Steven Mnuchin, he's the most underrated player and certainly most likely the best Treasury sec Secretary we've ever had in history. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, it concerns me that he didn't do what he said he was going to do, which is wait to get the data before making the move. Uh, he, he bowed to pressure. But he also had some new developments that put even more pressure on him. Namely, he's fighting public opinion uh, and, and trying to gain public trust. And they're you know paying $12 for a gallon of milk. So we'll talk a little bit about that now. Um, so he did bow to the pressure and he blinked before uh, meeting his objective, whether this will result in his deepest fear of long-term structural unemployment as we saw in the eight years following the great financial crisis of 2008 to 2009, remains to be seen. In the meantime, several factors that led to the high inflation prints of late are rolling over into his new tightening policy. So, <coughs> excuse me, that's the one thing that uh, that is concerning, is that if he would just take the time and walk people through some of the charts that I'm gonna share with you, or whether he's even looking at them, God forbid, I'm sure he is, um, he could say, listen, we shut down the world for 60 days, basically, and then when you restart it, there are going to be some kinks in, in, in the chain, and we're seeing that. However, to get too tight, when you still have 2 million excess people unemployed than you did in February of 2020, uh, is a little worrisome, just because we have a short-term spike in inflation off a low base, um, we're seeing the trends change. So uh, if you look at Baltic dry shipping, it's down 48.8% since October 7th. Okay, this is the, this measures the average prices paid for the transport of dry bulk materials across more than 20 routes. The average sale price of a 40 foot container in China plunged by 22.5% in the first two weeks of October alone. And then you saw Malcolm Wilson, the CEO of GXO Logistics Inc., the world's largest pure play contract logistics provider, said Tuesday that global supply chain bottlenecks should ease by the end of the second quarter of 2022 and that massive spikes in demand hitting GXO's U.S. facilities are already starting to level off. He told analysts that issues that we're seeing right now, he believes, are very much temporary. Quote, we are anticipating to continue to see them probably into Q1, maybe even into Q2, but definitely it's a temporary issue and it will abate. But Chair Powell 
couldn't take the heat, so he got the hell out of the kitchen. Uh, but now let's let's stick to the data. Wages, year-on-year percentage increase, are in a downtrend. You would never know that by just listening to headlines. So wages are sticky. That's the part that won't be transient. transient. And they've moved up. Uh, they should start to rise more modestly as more and more people re-enter the workforce due to extended unemployment benefits expiring in September and vaccination rates improving, which means childcare and uh, school resumption improving. So this shows the year-on-year increase in wages. So, um, yeah, it's been elevated, you know, over four, 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 between four and five percent, got over five percent at the beginning of the year. It trended down over the summer with Delta, um, and now it's about four and a half percent. But, you know, it also was as high as as eight percent year on year at the peak. So it is in a downtrend. We'll see if this persists as the supply of labor comes back on. And that was his base case since he's been pitching the word transient was that this supply of labor would come on and this would come down, but he's not listening to his own pitch. Um, he's taking the outside pressure. The labor force participation rate recovery will dampen wage increases over time. It's modestly trending up with the exclusion of September due to Delta. So if you see this pre-pandemic, you look here, it was at about 63, and almost 63.5% labor force participation rate. It collapsed to uh, 60, call it 60.25, right in the middle of the pandemic. It's back, trended back up to about 61.5. If we got anywhere near 63, we would be feeling well more than that uh, 2 million of unemployed that we need. But pulling liquidity out before you even get to 62 or 62.5, I think is a little premature. Now, whether he went in November uh, bowing to external pressure or January, as I had anticipated, does not make much of a difference, as it was well telegraphed to the market. At the end of the day, people don't like paying $12 for a gallon of milk, whether it's due to short-term supply chain issues or not. Couple that with the Fed trading fiasco, and they blinked a couple of months earlier than anticipated, but it was inevitable nonetheless. They had more runway than they thought to get the 2 million extra unemployed folks back to work, but they're opting to put out a grease fire with water, uh, it, despite the fact that the sand is just a little further away and more effective. Here's, here's what I mean when I suggest that the rollover in some prices is already well underway and will show up on a lagged basis in coming months. This is so important. Everything works on a lag. So initially when they're pulling liquidity out of the system, things are going to keep going up. Everyone's going to think this great. Six to nine months from now, the volatility profile is going to change dramatically. Multiples are going to start to change. We're hopeful that earnings will grow so much that even as the multiple re-rates downward with higher rates, uh, that the market will stay elevated. But but you're going to see volatility and opportunity like uh, you haven't seen in a little while. And we're excited about that. Um, but, uh, but these prices are coming down irrespective of taper. So you remember lumber, everyone was uh, in a hizzy in Q1 of this year as uh, the futures contract hit 1700 well now it's down to 600 609 so it's dropped about two-thirds 60 some of 66 percent give or take in just a few months 
Uh, everyone, now, you're not going to see that right away because at Home Depot, they don't mark it down immediately. There, there is a whole six to nine month lag. Milk. Everyone's complaining about milk prices today, but the collapsing prices will show up in the supermarket on a lagged basis. We should do a drinking game today. Every time I say lagged basis, uh, everyone has a shot of uh, hopefully orange juice. <laughs> so, um, so that is the milk. Then you got corn is rolling over. The grains are rolling over with the exclusion of wheat. Soybeans rolling over again. So uh, corn from 750 down to 550 uh, in the last few months. Soybeans from uh, 1675 down to 1230 in the last few months. Uh, these are huge drops. Soybean meal from 470 to 340. Lean hogs. Anyone like bacon from 120 down to 75. Again, it's going to take six to nine months till it shows up in your supermarket. So, could they have waited a few extra months to ensure those two million more people unemployed than pre-pandemic got back into the labor force? Hell yeah, they could. Uh, does it matter that they're tightening into falling prices, which will show up on a lagged basis, uh, and slowing rates of growth? Yes, but... It's tough to get reappointed when milk is $12 a gallon and the general public is upset with public officials for illegally trading while in possession of non-public information. Um, they don't like it when Congress does trades uh, ahead of legislation, and that's happened uh, quite a bit, as everyone knows, and they don't like it, uh, they didn't like it when um, Fed officials were, you know, whether automatically or uh, on their own discretion, buying, you know, uh, instruments, uh, whether they were bonds, which are going to be backstopped, or equities ahead of major announcements that the market was going to be backstopped. No one likes that. They want a fair playing field. So they, they, they bowed to the pressure and the anger, and they moved early, um, despite not having the confirmatory employment data at hand at the time of announcement, as they said they would have needed. The net effect is probably 500,000 unemployed people will be left out in the cold when all is said and done. So rather than having 5.7 million unemployed as we did in February of 2020, we'll likely wind up with 6.2 million unemployed when we hit full employment this time. Uh, enough time will pass that they'll stop being counted because we, look, we took the foot off the gas a hair too early. Hard to see now, but it will become clear on a lagged basis about 18 months from now. Uh, overbought. Stock market. Alan Shaw, the legendary former head of technical analysis at Smith Barney, once said, quote, the most bullish thing a market can do is get overbought and stay that way, unquote. So on the one hand, the S&P small cap index, uh, same as the Russell 2000, basically, finally broke out to new highs yesterday after consolidating sideways for nine months. We've mentioned it in recent months. This is constructive and consistent with a rising rate environment. We also saw regional banks up nicely after the Fed announcement, and uh, tis the season. So today they gave back a little. Today was just an odd day. I think it was kind of like people are trying to digest, did he just taper? Was that a dovish taper? Was it a hawkish taper? Um, it was earlier than expected, but that's still good because earnings are good. So people are trying to process anything, but the most important thing is the jobs report tomorrow. Uh, that's probably going to come in pretty strong, and that should reinitiate the reopening type of small caps, banks, etc. 
Um, and this is the seasonality of the small cap index tends to do a tremendous amount of their games. As a matter of fact, it's kind of followed according to script this year. It does tend to trade sideways all year, and then it breaks out the last two months of the year. So a lot of these small caps, which are regional banks, some energy, et cetera, should do well. Uh, this was the bank index, again, sideways all year, and now it's breaking out. The value line geometric index, this is the original equal weighted index, also broke out some new highs um, on the Fed announcement. Probably gave back a little bit today as well. And this is the seasonality of the NYSE, which is more industrial weighted than tech weighted. Also gets a favorable push the last two months of the year. That's how we're positioned. Um, and then transport, Dow Transportation Index, this is what they call a confirmatory index. If the Dow goes to new highs and it's confirmed by the transports, then it's a real rally. Well, it broke through in a major way to new highs on the Fed announcement. It also has favorable seasonality in the last couple of months of the year. So, while there are many indicators pointing to the market being overbought, sometimes the most bullish thing it does is stay that way for some time. In other words, these warning signals may not come into play in a material way before year end, but we will keep a close eye on them. This is the 10-day uh, equity put-call ratio, 10-day moving average. So when it gets down to these levels, you know, it can get a little toppy and choppy because complacency, right? So, um, and then when it, you know, when it peaks up here is when you're usually near bottoms, short-term bottoms, that type of thing. Um, so there's some complacency, obviously, same with this PMO by all, which we've talked about, but that doesn't mean it has to turn right away. So here in late 2019, and then it shot back up and it just carried higher, but it just tells you your odds are start lightening up on risk versus, you know, leaning into risk. Retail is bullish, 41.5%. We saw that. Um, fear and greed hit 82%. 82, so greed is back. So these are usually areas where you want to lighten up, but we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a second, why it might not be the best time to do that. National Association of Active Investment Managers actually hit 107.99, so that's pretty elevated. The chase is on. Uh, managers are chasing into urine as they were underweight with the market pressing higher through earnings season. And there are times to heed warnings and times to ignore them. The Fed will still add another $660 billion of liquidity to the market over the next seven months. Uh, taper period through bond purchases and reinvestment. We think that although there are numerous indicators flashing yellow and will come home to roost in 2022, getting too defensive in front of a year-end performance chase when many managers came into Q3 earnings season short or defensive and now have to play catch-up to match or exceed their benchmarks is probably not a good idea. Um, so that's that. As far as earnings, you know, they've been solid. I think we're going to see probably by tomorrow that the earnings growth is 39. Maybe even we hit the 40 handle already. 40% 40 year on year. That's going to be good. We'll see what happens to 2022 earnings. But the most important thing we're going to see is the jobs report. Here's Cigna's earnings from today. 
crushed it on the top and bottom line and on um, guidance, both top and bottom line guidance. So that's that's good. And those med that medical cost ratio is going to come down, as they said. It's just one more quarter is a little higher than expected. And the analysts got, got very angry about that. So uh, they'll have to get over it. Um, you know, looking at these Clorox beat on the top and bottom line, they retain their margins. So they're, they're going to be strong, and we talked about that on the call today. Um, good earnings across the board. I think uh, Expedia reported after the bell, travel was strong, people are booking trips. That's going to be good for the Boeings of the world, for the industrials. The other thing we didn't get to was this, which we talked about over the last few weeks. Signs of a new CapEx cycle emerge as S&P companies report earnings, says Bank of America, with lingering bottlenecks in the economy, we expect companies to increase CapEx to boost efficiency, analysts say. And they go through each sector and how much they expect. And that's going to be the next driver of growth that we talked about a few months ago. Now now people are putting out notes on it. So that, that's going to be another catalyst uh, into the first half of next year. Looking at uh, some of the numbers this week, ISM Manufacturing blew the door uh, – uh, beat expectations at 60.8, above 50 is expansion. So everything's still looking strong. Manufacturing PMI came a little bit weaker than expected, but still 58.4, strong expansion. As I said, we had the build in uh, uh, crude inventories, so that was a little bearish. Factory orders came in better than expected. ISM non-manufacturing business activity. This blew the doors off. Uh, Non-manufacturing PMI came in at 66.7 versus 62% estimated. That is a huge number. Let's see what that looks like historically. Oh my gosh, off the charts. Off the charts. We, have, we haven't had a, we've, we've not had a reading this high ever. Going back to, this, this chart only goes back to 1998. So above 50% indicates non-manufacturing sector is generally expanding. Below 50 indicates contraction. Came in at 60, 69.8, highest ever. That is huge. Game on. Um, okay, gas inventories. Continuing claims. This is the key number. If you recall, I used to hem and haw about this going into September, that this number kept missing. Well, this number's been beating in recent weeks, which is why I think the jobs report will be uh, pretty good tomorrow. May meet or exceed expectations, which would be great. Big contrast to September. Uh, initial jobless claims came in lower than expected. That was positive, 269 versus 275. And then tomorrow we get to see the big show with the jobs report. So that'll, that'll play a huge role. I think it's going to be good. I think the re reopening trade uh, uh, follows through from its Wednesday start following the good numbers and that's the story for this week so by next week I will have my voice back and uh, uh, clarity and everything else and we'll, we'll have a longer call but I uh, want to thank you for tuning in I did want to get to some of these uh, critical things on Cigna and on the general market and on taper so I hope you found that helpful uh, and uh, we'll see you next week in the meantime, make it a great one. Thanks for tuning in.